Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Now named Columbia University. In 1777, he became a personal aide, private secretary to Washington during the American Revolution. May of 1782, Hamilton began studying law in Albany, New York, and in six months he had completed a three-year course of studies. Pretty good, right? He passed the examinations and was admitted to the New York Bar. Of course, the New York Bar Association was and is the franchise of the French. Americans were fooled. 1774, he entered into college in New York. Seventeen seventy four, he entered King's College in New York. Seventeen seventy four, he entered King's College in New York City, and uh, that was funded by the London Kings and now named Columbia University. Seventeen seventy seven, he became a personal aide and private secretary to Washington during the American Revolution. Constitution and, and rights and whatnot. 
uh, I said at that point when I happened to be in a particular appeal case, and the uh, attorney walked in and uh, presented to the court a loss of shit that just happened that day. And I was, of course, arguing the same thing the church was arguing. And uh, at that point, the court gave me about five minutes and wanted a response. And I said, I couldn't give you a response in five minutes. So they dismissed the case. Uh, that's what led me to say, there's got to be something deeper than what's, what's going on. And I got to go back in time and find out why this is happening today. Now, you're referring to the whole IRS, IRS situation, and if you can stay with us for other shows, uh, you'll be able, for sure, to, to speak to especially some of that um, information regarding the IRS. But you did want to start off, I think, at a place where most of us really do understand, to a certain extent, where Americans start, and that is with Britain. But you're going to take a look at Britain and its connection to us in, in a bit of a different manner, are you not? Yeah, that's uh, because, you see, I was being a basic researcher uh, for major industries, and I was taught by, you know, excellent professors, uh, not in school, but on, you know, actually on hands-on as to how to do uh, research, and uh, this is what got me into it. So I just applied all of my um, learned uh, research and put it into researching history and government and whatnot. And that's what led me back to, oh, actually the Middle Ages. And then I came forward. I mean, you could go all the way back further, but uh, I figured the Middle Ages was far enough. That's the 8th to the 13th century. But you uh, indicated to me, did you not, and understandably so, I think most of us who have at least had some world history will remember this name. Then it goes right back to uh, the uh, Code of Hammurabi. Yeah, the Code of Hammurabi... Um, if anybody wants to go to the library because they can't afford the 26 volumes of Benedict on Admiralty, um, major uh, libraries would have it, small libraries would not have it. Um, but the law of Hammurabi was the law of all the nations, and uh, every nation picked it up. And this goes back to 2000 BC. So, um, <clears throat> The law of Hammurabi was actually uh, known and as the law of Oran, the Rhodesian law, the Roman law. And what is interesting is the tie-in with Admiralty and the Uniform Commercial Code of today. Because in Hammurabi, that's all the nations dealt with was uh, Admiralty, uh, maritime. And uh, that's what we have in the country today. So... It's a big mismatch of everything together mm -hmm. that people have a hard time understanding if they're not a researcher. Uh, they usually have a gut reaction, a knee-jerk reaction, and they listen to other people. They listen to the government. And, of course, in all governments, the winner is the one that writes the history. Right. And uh, this is the problem is that history has been written and force down the people's throats without them giving a second thought about it. They just say, well, well, you know, that's, that's what it must be. And it's not. Let, let me ask you, you mentioned two things. The first, uh, I want to just ask you, the, the code of, of Hammurabi, the fact that it's been 
borrowed from or built upon or extended through so many centuries, was it necessarily a good form of government or law for the people, or has it always been an elitist-type situation? No, it wasn't for the people. It was for the law merchants. And um, there's, uh, like I say, if you can get Benedict on Admiralty, the seventh edition, and read the first two volumes, that will give you a, um, a whole nutshell uh, of what happened from Hammurabi and in Benedict in the seventh edition. Uh, the newer editions, I'm not sure, but each edition loses so much more of the real information. Uh, in fact, I have one of the original books of 1850, and all the judges, uh, worth anything, uh, if they're worth anything, have this um, book in their chambers. And it was just so happened that I happened to get a copy of it uh, over a period of uh, a year. Um, and uh, it is so easy to understand the 1850 edition that when you pick up the seventh edition, it's 26 volumes, and the original was one book, approximately about two inches thick. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem to become any more uh, uh, common person friendly, does it? No, no. So actually, it wasn't. It was made for the people. If the people were merchants or involved with merchants, that they could use this law. But it wasn't like um, guys' law. Uh, it was um, just for for law merchants. That's why they call it the law merchant, the law of the law merchant. But actually, what we're looking at is a law that kind of um, is based upon mercantilism. Uh, yes, that's, that's basically all it was. And you got to remember, in the old days, that's all the, the countries dealt with. And that's why they called it the maritime or admiralty because. Everything was across the ocean. And uh, uh, a funny thing about it is, uh, well, not really funny, but the odd thing is that all of the countries, including Europe and Rome, used it only for the um, mercantile and the oceans and the rivers and whatnot. And then they had what they called the common law, which was the king's common law, and it wasn't God's law. Uh, you can, a lot of people misconstrue common law, and when you pick up the book on the history of the American bar by Charles Warren, that will come out and tell you, and they have actual excerpts from the judges, and it's not a, it's, it's a history book of how the American bar was formed. It wasn't anything on courts or anything like that, cases, actual cases in the present day, but it actually shows that the common law was the most hated law by the common man in England. And everybody wants common law, and they cry for common law, and they don't know what they're really crying for. But had they read and researched, uh, this is what I talk about, the knee-jerk reaction. It's uh, someone said this and someone said that, and everybody believes it. But if the person would actually go back into history, into the books, and spend a multitude of hours of just boring stuff to go through, but people don't do that. They want an instant gratification. They want instant, you know, recognition. And uh, sometimes I would sit in libraries for a whole week on one subject, 
and at least for six to eight hours. Many times I closed, I opened up for the library, and they even had to boot me out of the library at 1130 at night. And uh, this is the dedication that you actually need to really, uh, and what's going on, and not take people's word for it. Um, you, you've spoken well to uh, what it takes to research. A lot of us uh, out here who consider ourselves such do want somewhat of uh, instant gratification or, shall we say, hitting the gold vein with the first stick we put into uh, the books. And that's not the way it happens with the diligence that you've shown and other people have also mentioned the same. It's not a sexy job. It takes a lot of tedious work to find out really what there is to be had. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons why I was happy to have you on is because you did the wet work uh, to which we really salute you. And... Um, I'm glad you said what you did, because people who want to go out there and find the truth um, have had there for quite some time, and do they have the diligence and endurance the way with to continue? Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the main problem, as I should. And I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons why I was happy to have you on is because you did the wet work uh, to which we really salute you, and um, I'm glad you said what you did, because people who want to go out there and find the truth um, we've had there for quite some time, and do they have the diligence and endurance to work with to continue? Yeah, that's that's the that's the main problem as I see it. And uh, the problem is is the people never learn from history, because when I started in this about 1976, when I won my first traffic case, um, one thing led to another. So I was like like everybody when you're getting out of high school. You're worried about girls and running around and having a good time. You're not worried about government. You're not worried about anything. Um, and then, you know, say from 20 to 25 or 26, you're looking to get married and raise a family, and you do. And then your responsibility then is to keep the family going and to be the provider for it. So by the time you get to 40 years old, which I was, and that's when I really realized that something's wrong with the country. Uh, um, you know, it, it, it's rare to find uh, an 18 to 25-year-old that would want to do what I did or anybody like me and, and go into the library and, and sit there boringly for years at a time going over everything and all your other friends are out there having cars and... and um, having a family and browsing around or whatever you want to do, you know. Um, but what I find is that the people in my age group, uh, we're dwindling now, and uh, we were, I think, the last ones that had a, a decent education in where we could then uh, apply what we know. I mean, uh, we got a good uh, history, geography, English, the use of the grammar and uh, today's kids, uh, they're just dumbed down so, so much. Anybody under, I'd say, three years old, 45, because I'm using my kids as a, as a basis for this. My oldest is almost 50, and um, the youngest one is uh, about uh, 40. So, um, and when I brought my kids up, I could see that about 1965, the education system started to go downhill real fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the problem is uh, why you don't find these young kids or anybody up to 35 going 
going in and looking in the library and reading and understanding actually the words that are there. Uh, it, it's, uh, you can take five people and they can read the same passage and they get five different quite, different um, interpretations of that. And that is the main problem with today's uh, so-called patriot. I don't like to use the word patriot mm-hmm. uh, because uh, that's one who supports the the present regime. Yeah. I mean, liberals are horrible anyway. But let me at least speak to what you said about the education. And, of course, you're absolutely right. And there's a number of books out there that do speak to the fact that the education was placed in the hands of one such as John Dewey, which is a flaming uh, socialist slash communist. And it was all about training in the end, and we're seeing this. So you're right. The classical education was thrown to the wayside. Uh, children are, are disassociated and disaffected from the laws of the land and the way things really were and what we're supposed to be about. So they have no connection to that, and it would be easier for them to let go, because obviously what we're headed for is a one-world government. Um, you yeah. mentioned something, though, uh, I'm in, and I'm, I want to speak to it, and then we're going to get into the core of the matter uh, that will uh, frame this first segment. And then as you did mention, admiralty. Now, a lot of us, our ears pop up when we hear that. We think of gold French flags, et cetera, et cetera. But really, uh, there is something to the fact that that what we're looking at in, in course of law and such is that, yeah, those flags are there for a purpose. And I'm saying this. If I'm wrong, please let me know. But, but is, it, is it admiralty law that's in, in the courthouses today? Believe it or not, yes. Um, and, and this is the basis of a lot of myth that goes into what the people are looking at today. Um, there is a case... And uh, you, you also get this in Admiralty, uh, Benedict Admiralty, but there's a case called the United States versus Bevins. And this is not the Bevins case that is present. Uh, this goes back to 3 week 336. How would you spell that last name? B-E-D-A-N-S. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, I won't go through the whole case. It was in the Supreme Court of the United States, 1818. Um, and it's the the highlight of the case is and uh, now this, let me go into mm-hmm. people are going to do what I say um, as cognitive dissonance if you know what I mean in other words they're going to look at a lie they've been fed all their lives which they believe to be true then when someone comes along and says the truth, that's where cognitive business come in. They will not believe the truth and believe it to be a lie. Right, because it doesn't match up with what they've been told in their history books. And exactly. Books. Now, in this case, it says habeas and trial by jury is admiralty maritime as it is universal law. Now, the universal law goes back to the law of and um, it says that uh, in this particular case on 363, that jurisdiction is exclusively vested in the United States courts, and therefore the state court could not make cognizance of an offense. Here we're talking about maritime uh, crime. But it says, there are no doubt the courts of the United States are courts of limited jurisdiction, but not limited as cognizance to general class of cases. Um, this meaning and extent of the terms that they brought for 
not in the common law, but in the civil law. Now, right here, this explains in this case that the civil law that we know of today is pure admiralty. There, in admiralty, there are two sides. There's prize and civil. The prize is criminal in admiralty. Once they bring in a criminal action, they revert to the civil side and everything falls under Title 28 because Title 28 is a pure admiralty statute. The whole title on that. Okay. And that's what you're dealing with in the courts. And, of course, all the courts, uh, federal district courts, and even the state courts, do have maritime cognizance and can rule on certain maritime, but the states can't rule on piracy on the high seas and so forth that was brought up in the Constitution. So uh, that's what the states were prohibited from doing the international part. Uh, so basically that's what you've got when you go into the courts and you're on the civil side, you know that you're in admiralty. And the Unification Act of 1966 plainly stated that this is the case. Okay. So, like I say, uh, it's really convoluted. And, and of course, the Uniform Commercial Code was the old negotiable instrument law, and it still rules paramaterial because that is tied to admiralty. The admiralty and the UCC is one of the same. It's just a different name, that's all. One last question, and we'll go on to especially talking about um, what you wanted to address, and that's the Templars of the Crown and what the Crown really means. Uh, but we hear a lot now uh, from the Patriot community, or whatever you want to call it, that talks about, especially when people want to defend themselves and they bring the Constitution in the courtroom, I hear time and time again the judges just like apoplectic and said, don't bring that in here. Right. Is that a fact? Yeah, it's a fact. And the reason is, is because we're all dealing with private law. And the Constitution is really not made for man, the common man. It's made for the law merchants operating as government. In other words, the Constitution is a legal document. There's no doubt about that. It's been written in the journals as a legal document, and it is couched in legal terms. And that's where a lot of people... We hear a lot now uh, from the Patriot community, or whatever you want to call it, that talks about, uh, especially when people want to defend themselves and they bring the Constitution in the courtroom, and we hear time and time again that the judges get, like, apoplectic and said, don't bring that in here. Right. Is that a fact? Yeah, it's a fact. And the reason is, is because we're all dealing in private law. And the Constitution is really not made for man, the common man. It's made for the law merchants operating as government. In other words, the Constitution is a legal document. There's no doubt about that. It's been written in the journals as a legal document, and it is couched in legal terms. That's where a lot of people fall apart when it comes to terms and words because a term is not a word. A term is a a word that has been massaged by the legislative body to mean what it wants it to mean and not what the dictionary says it means. 
they gave the classification and the bio status, and it was non-profit. We found another one in Greensboro, North Carolina, the American Ends of Court Foundation. And it, too, was non-profit. But then we got into the North Carolina Bar Association, and it's a business league, and it was for private. It was listed under Section 501C6. We have another one in Cary, North Carolina, and it gives the judge that one. It gives the asset amount, and these are all group affiliations, and they are in business. There's another one in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the American Inns of Court. Then there's a North Carolina Association of District Judges. Contributions are not tax deductible. They're a charitable organization. That's what they hold them out to be. And they're a group affiliation, independent organization, or an independent auxiliary. And then, of course, they have, you know, went into a lot of them. And uh, that's when we found out that the tie to the Inns of Court of England and the Inns of Court in the United States. I knew. Well, actually, in uh, America, it should be America. <laughs> I uh, let me stop you for a second because as you were saying this, uh, lo and behold, here in Florida there is a Tampa Bay and of court. Okay. And it's it's TIOC, you know, love this, dot blinkster dot net. And on the home page it talks about English Inns of Court and how it all began in twelve ninety two. Right. So folks out there, he's not blowing smoke, I'll take a look for it yourself. As he was speaking, I went ahead and I did a search and uh Lo and behold, just like you said, they come up. The first one there was inzacourt.org, which is what you were talking about. And then if you keep on moving down, uh, you're right. Uh, you can state and regional ones that will pop up. Right. Uh, let me ask you this before we go on. Can you just can hang on to that thought for a second? I don't want to make you lose that train of thought. Okay. Um, one, this does really go back to Freemasonry, doesn't it? Yeah. High degree Freemasonry. Okay. Right. Second of all, I just want to share something with you. Uh, there is a group that's not very well known, yet it's been around for two, uh, 103 years. Are you familiar with the Pilgrims Society? I've heard of it. That's all I have. I, I really okay. have delved into it. Nothing for nothing, but when uh, there's a book out there, I was going to go to it before I spoke to you. I'm not going to worry about it. If you go and you go to Amazon and look at Pilgrim Society, there's a modern-day, uh, shall we say, biography of it, obviously authorized. But in the back of it, I mean, it talks about through the years, because it's one of these, another one of these Anglo-American establishment things okay. that Quigley doesn't talk about, though it was there you know, for Quigley to, to speak to, and he didn't. However, when they get back to the meetings through the years of all the luminaries who came, they talk about what was spoken about, like the title of the uh, speech, perhaps. Right. But when it ever gets to any of the ends of court, like the middle end or something like that, it right. says nothing. That's right. And people can go check it out for themselves if you want to get your hands on that book, but there is nothing ever divulged about the meetings of the Pilgrim Society in any of the ends of court. Thanks so much for letting me get that in. By all means, you know, go ahead. Yeah. Um, okay, what it is, is um, the first uh, chancel of the Temple Church was built by the Knights Templar, all right? It's not new. Uh, it's been around for before they did it. But the Chantry and the Crown Inner Temple Court was where King John was in January 1215. 
That's when he distinguished Barron's demanded that he confirm the rights enshrined in the Magna Carta. Okay? Okay. Now, this is really tricky. The city of London Temple was the headquarters for the Knights Templar in Britain, and where the order and the rule was first made. Now, uh, this is going to really uh, upset a lot of people, but the Vatican is involved in this big time. Now, why the Magna Carta can be considered crap? And here's why. Uh, I'm going to bring up a particular case I was in when I sued the company when I was fired. Um, you can't use any of the Constitution and, and freedom of speech on a private company in any court. They'll just laugh you out of the court. Okay? But uh, I had brought up a particular part of the Magna Carta in the case. And I had one attorney. Uh, right to the other attorney, and I happened to get a copy of it. And after the case was, I lost the case, naturally. And after that, I had was privy to a document that was given to me by a, an attorney. He shouldn't have. He didn't realize what he was doing, but I got it. And the one attorney said to the other, and you were worried about the Magna Carta, this puts it back where it belongs in the scrap pile. That's the exact quote, and I can remember to this day, back in 1987. And the reason why the Magna Carta was um, overruled is, first off, the, the king, now we're talking about the king now, not the crown, but the king um, was in the crusade, this is in the crusade's time, and they was fighting with the Vatican. In steps the crown. The Crown fronted both sides. They always do in any war. Mm -hmm. And um, that made both the King and the Vatican, the Pope, the Pope was a figurehead in the Vatican, just like Bush is today. Agreed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's the Vatican regime that controls the Pope and what is the inner workings that goes on. So they had fronted the money. Uh, to, the, to the Vatican and the king, and therefore they controlled them. Now, what happened was the king um, couldn't sign the document which contained the Magna Carta on the rights because the sword was held to his throat. Well, anybody today, if you got a guy coming up to you with a gun and he points it at you and says, sign it, and you sign it, that's under duress, right? Right. Well, this is true. And the sword of the king was under duress. And the um, in August the 24th, uh, 1215, the uh, Pope issued a papal bill stating that the document signed by the king was a fraud because it was under duress. And he denounced it. And that's why, uh, because he was afraid to lose his 600 pounds that was guaranteed him in the signing of this. So um, there is one instance, and you can find this because I've gotten this from the London Library, 
Uh, I couldn't go there myself personally because it wouldn't allow me in, but I had a professor from Clemson University that went over and pulled a lot of these documents for me and asked me what I wanted because he was going over there. When he got there, he came back and I got the original copy of the Treaty of Peace. And uh, also, he was shocked when he found there were contracts and treaties and agreements made in 455 A.D. that are still alive and working today in the modern world. Now, just think, if a treaty or a document goes back to 455 A.D., still has ruling concepts on today's world, there's a lot of other stuff that people have no idea exists and why they are being controlled the way they are. And if they don't have this foundation, they're forever floundering around because they can't hit the nose, nail, you know, the head of the nail with a hammer. It's just all over the spot. So um, when he got there, he came back and I got the original copy of the Treaty of Peace. And uh, also, he was shocked when he found there were contracts and treaties and agreements made in 455 A.D. that are still alive and working today in the modern world. Now, just think, if a treaty or a document goes back to 455 A.D., still has ruling concepts on today's world, there's a lot of other stuff that people have no idea exists and why they are being controlled the way they are. And if they don't have this foundation, they're forever floundering around because they can't hit the nose, you know, the head of the nail with a hammer. It's just all over the spot. So um, what happens is that, uh, like I said, I mentioned Charles Warren is the history of the American Bar. If anybody really wants to get into some research, uh, this is one of the books that I would suggest getting. Now, <clears throat> you might say, what authority as a crown usurped the national sovereignty of the American people? Well, it's acceptable that the U.S. court decides constitutional issues in the U.S. Now, can it be considered being constitutional when the Supreme Court is appointed by and paid by the people who front the federal government, the crown. They all operate under the crown. I mean, if you go back into history, you'll notice that bills of credit were not supposed to be used, but yet every federal judge is being paid by a bill of credit. Now, who issues the bill of credit? Well, everybody says, well, the United States government pays it. Uh-uh. The United States government might issue out of the department a bill of credit, a check. You go to and cash that, who pays it? Well, wouldn't it go back to the crown? That's right, right back to the crown. And the crown, as people should know, are the international bankers. Now, there are, in this system, the private Federal Reserve. The private Federal Reserve was the actual exchequer of England. Now, it's not exchequer of, like, well, let me see. 
put me in this way. If I form a bank myself and in a country that never had a bank, and what would you call it? The first. The first, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right, the first bank of America, or the first bank of the United States, was the private concern of the Crown. The Crown Templar came in and instituted the first bank of the United States. It wasn't the government that instituted it. It was the Crown that was the initiator and under the blessings of Congress allowed the first bank to come in. Okay. Now, today's private Federal Reserve is an offshoot of that bank. It's the same thing. It's just the Federal Reserve. And in there you have the International Monetary Fund, the World Trade Organization, and the Bank of International Settlements. All right. Now, even Hitler respected the crown bankers because that's where he got his money from. They were from Switzerland. The Bank of the International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, controls all the central banks of the G7 nations. And right there goes back to where the crown and the Vatican was fighting. And the international bank, who controls the gold, rules the world. Everybody knows that. So this is, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners are going to be rolling around, scratching their head and trying to think, how am I going to take this and put it all together? Well, uh, I can't do it justice in a one-hour show. I couldn't do it justice in a 10-hour show. This is years and years of work to get this. So may I ask you something at this point? Yeah. Is it not true that the Vatican eventually, um, with the banksters, um, made nice? Made what? Well, you know, they, they finally put their differences behind them. Oh, yeah, there was the, uh, that's what it is. You have the Vatican cabal with the, uh, with the bank. Okay. And uh, the tenets of the church, of the Catholic church, Catholic meaning universal, uh, is that no man can own the land because the Pope, supposedly, uh, and what I liked about the 1828 dictionary, Webster's first dictionary, is he come out and called the Pope uh, a fraud because um, he claimed to be the vicar of Christ right. when no one really can be the vicar of Christ. He right. just appointed himself as the vicar of Christ. Right. And um, so um, that's why Christ uh, went after the attorneys and, you know, woe be unto you lawyers and so on and so forth. Uh, a good book to get is uh, Rodell, who was a, a judge, and I can't remember. I got his book, but I don't have it at hand to give you the date. But uh, it's uh, fairly modern, and you might even be able to pick it up on the on the internet. I think his name was Frank Rodell. We have a title for that. Uh, we'll be on to your lawyers. Oh, okay, beautiful. <laughs> and uh, so, Bruno uh, Viper. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Well, hold on a second, though. But you know, I've been remiss in doing this, and, and um, you know, you you do have your your uh, information on against the grain. Yeah. And the other thing is, though, you do have some things that are up for sale. Can we talk about them right now? Well, the only thing that's there is um, 
the one, uh, two books, one is A New History of America and the other is uh, uh, Which One Are You? It's it's a book where uh, as meant not by government, like all the other books, because the book's title asks the question, which one are you? It doesn't tell you which one you are. It doesn't say, well, you're this and you're that and, and so on and so forth. You have to make your own determination. And, uh, but it's got all the info in there. All right, and, and you do have on that website the books listed. You do really seem to have more than two. You have which one are you? Then you have volume one and one in response. Yeah, well, they were uh, uh, the offshoots, some of them the offshoots of the, the first book, which was printed in 
he lives here in North Carolina, and I'm conversant with him. And he visits me every once in a while and tells me a lot of stories. And he was saying that they had a bomb run. They could not bomb IG Farming. Mm-hmm. IG Farming Corporation uh, only lost 15% of its uh, property by bombing. And uh, the reason why is because it was uh, you know, a front for the international bankers in Germany. Mm-hmm at the time. And even America, uh, the United States government, uh, actually knew it and informed their pilots of um, IG Farben. In fact, my uncle, when he was alive, he told me, he says, you know, after they went back, he talked to a lot of German people that worked there, and he says, you know, we would sit out on our lawn and we would watch you go over while we're eating our lunch. We knew that you weren't going to force. I mean, if I could, I don't think I've talked about this on the air. If, can, I, can I tell you a short anecdote that resonates with what you said? Sure. Thank you. I guess you have to say yes, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the show. <laughs> you know, I just told you the other day, I watched Catch-22, and what he was doing is he was telling us right out loud, the corporations went the whole the whole war. And this is in a movie in 1970, which, as you said, you know, I was young, chasing skirts, watched the movie, and didn't get it. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But yeah. here's, here's what I want to tell you. I was, in, I was working sales in D.C. back in 1977. And a guy corners me, and he was in uh, the Army in World War II. He asked me what I thought about Vietnam. And I didn't want to get in that kind of conversation. I said, look, I'm only going to tell you I really don't understand what it was all about. I was scared because I had a 1S, and I never went. He went on to regale me about just what you said, that when he was in the trenches with the other grunts, they were getting teased by radio. Like, people don't think that Tokyo Rose didn't happen with the Germans, too. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they went after each other. And so they were taunting the Americans that you don't know where these places are because if you did, you'd bomb them. And it went back and forth. Well, one day what happened was the word went down the trenches that, indeed, the American Air Force went up, the Army Air Force, and dumped garbage on the plants. To let them know, yes, you SOBs, we know where you are, but we cannot destroy you. And that gentleman looked at me and he said, from that point onward, he said, we don't care who wins this damn war, it's about us getting back alive. Yes. So excellent that you brought that up. I'm glad you did because that is the way things are. Well, that's why uh, the war in Vietnam was fought all over rubber. It was firestone that was going to be hurt because of the uh, synthetic rubber and the real rubber. You need real rubber, even in synthetic tires. Right. And uh, that's what that was actually fought over. The French fought over for years, and they told the United States, don't get involved. Of course, we got involved. That's why um, in World War One, the reason why we entered World War One, and this is coming from the research that I have done, sitting in the library for hours and hours, one thing leads to another, and you'll find all these offshoots, how they tie in to corporations and the banking system. Uh, uh, Rockefeller had Standard Oil, and owned Standard Oil, and he had oil wells in Saudi Arabia, and he had contracts with them. During World War One, Germany would not allow him to go through Europe, through Germany, to get to Saudi Arabia, and that's why Rockefeller had instituted, actually instituted the First World War because of that oil that he had been denied by going from Germany. So that's when he got to the United States. And let's remember, too, that he was behind uh, the Bolshevik Revolution along with Jacob Schiff. 
Yes. Not only that, but that's why uh, in the in the research that I found that in 
Is it about the prisons in South Carolina? The other day? Okay. Well, they haven't said it. Don't worry. Don't worry your pretty little head over it. Right there, it's a good place to stop. Mm-hmm. Don't mind if you pick it up at a public house. Just realize 
it. Everybody loses, and they wonder why, because all their arguments are there, and they think they're going to win. But what it is, the whole thing is res judicata because they've already been to the common law court. And that's the common law agency, whether it be Yeah, further on, that is 
general obedience to the acts of trade and navigation. Uh, that's why this case, United States versus BEPAS, is uh, a critical to get to see how they're operating. All right, so now, based on this, we go to, uh, and anybody can pick this up, on Cornell. It is HTTP colon forward slash www dot law dot cornell dot edu forward slash topic forward slash admiralty forward slash html it says admiralty law materials and it gives the overview and it says of course if congress seeks to create a uniform body of admiralty law both nationally and internationally in order to facilitate commerce a federal courts derive their exclusive jurisdiction over this field of the history Act of 1789 and from Article 3, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution. Congress regulates admiralty partially through the Commerce Clause. American admiralty law formerly applied only to American tidal waters. It now extends to any waters navigable within the United States for interstate and foreign commerce. In such waters, Jurisdiction includes maritime waters, not interstate commerce, including recreational boating. It goes on further. Yeah, thank you. Is this corporate office? Okay. Uh, it says that the current law does not. Okay, what is. I would like the corporate office information. But it, other law, they use the law And where is that located?
federal order. As a goal within the United yeah. States, what I would like to request is this. I'd like to have a paper application to be sent out to Are you capable of including recreational voting? It goes on further, I don't want to say the whole thing, but uh, oh, okay. it goes on It says that the common law does not act as a binding precedent on advocacy courts, but it and other law may be used when no law or point is available. Parties subject to advocacy may not contract out of advocacy jurisdiction, and states may not print on advocacy jurisdiction, either judicially or legislatively. That's why I say it's good for the people that go online to that site I just gave, and they can read for themselves. Okay, it says uh, <clears throat> Admiralty or EDU topics forward slash Admiralty and then it's dot H. Right, I've got that. But now I'm on that page where it says Admiralty gives you the table of topics and overview pages for yeah, I'm reading here from the overview. From the overview? Okay, I got it. No problem. I want to bookmark that so I can look at it. All right, now there's no way in the world possibly that you're um, interpreting this other than it should be. Right. Are you? All right, now. Yeah, because when you read this, see, a lot of times when you take things out of, out of context, a little portion out of it, uh, it can be construed in many ways, but you have to read the overall thing to get what they're really talking about. And this is what the problem is with most patriots. They pick something up, they read it, and they don't look at the overall view of where it's coming from. And that's why so many times a site can be quoted from a case when it's just the opposite of what they're interpreting from that little portion that they pulled out. You know, growing up, the people of you who became lawyers. Uh-huh. I mentioned to you that the one that told me, uh, and we, we have a discussion about yeah, something on but he had said that yeah, I'm going to ask about where it's going to right? Yeah, and let me tell you another thing that is very critical. I had, uh, based on this, what we just read, or I just read, uh, I contacted quite a few years back Westlaw, and I contacted their main attorney for Westlaw, and I was citing something about Black's Law Dictionary, and I told him that it was wrong, and he got back to me and wrote back to me, he says, yes, we realize it's wrong, and we're changing it, and it will be coming out in the sixth edition. So then I asked him another question, and I said, why is it in the back of Black Dictionary? It doesn't list the presidents, but it lists the original years of every king and queen from the beginning. And his response was, and I have it right, that the presidents are independent of the laws because the laws in this country are based upon the queen or the king reigning at the time because we operate under those laws today. Well, so what was that occurred in the black law dictionary? It's in the back and on the uh, 
flags and it lists the uh, years that all the kings and the queens reigned. And it reigned from 1066 all the way up to present. It's on the one page because when October 14, 1066, went to reign 21 years. And it comes all the way up to um, Queen Elizabeth II, February 6, 1952, and of course she's still alive. Well, fortunately, um, believe this or not, the library for, for which I once worked, the university, university library, excuse me, was going to chuck out um, Black Citizen Edition. I had it right in front of me. Uh-huh. There it is on page uh, 1557. Okay, I got 
GM in place of the king. And the Chevrolet for New York uh, and all the colonies, so it was 13, not 5. So uh, he gave up the people and gave them their freedom. But he controlled every aspect of the British colonies. Uh, he didn't want to give up the corporation. So that's why the people then were here, and they just traded um, the king for a governor, that's all. Uh, in North Carolina, the uh, governor was the royal governor, and there were two governors. There was a common people governor, and there was a royal governor. And then after uh, 1776, the governor Caswell, what he did is he was the royal governor, and he became the governor of the state of North Carolina. And uh, in the Halifax Reserves, they had said to the people that they could no longer protect the people. They would have to go on their own, and therefore the common governor at the time, he just uh, disappeared. You know, he, he ceased to be any functional at all. Now, with the governor as well, and they just traded um, the king for a governor, that's all. Uh, in North Carolina, the uh, governor was the royal governor, and there were two governors. There was a common people's governor, and there was a royal governor. And then when, after uh, 1776, the governor Caswell, what he did is he was the royal governor, and he became the governor of the state of North Carolina. And uh, in the Halifax Reserves, they had said to the people that they could no longer protect the people. They would have to go on their own, and therefore the common governor at the time, he just uh, disappeared. You know, he, he ceased to be any functional at all. Now, what the governor Caswell, the royal governor, did, the first thing he did was he eliminated the quitrent tax. See, the king taxed every property by a quitrent, a certain amount. that wasn't based on valuation. And uh, the first thing that Governor Caswell did, and I imagine every other state did it, uh, he eliminated the quicker tax and added an ad valorem tax, which means now they would set the price of the property and charge the tax accordingly. Not just, well, well here's a building, it's got five windows, and we're going to charge $10 tax. Now they got, well, here's a building, it's got five windows and two fireplaces, and we're going to say that that is a, a value of $1,000. And we're going to have a new rate and place it on every $1,000. That's what we have today. Now, if, in fact, we were supposed to be free, they would eliminate the quicker tax, and people would not have uh, property tax. Well, i got a couple of questions I'd like to ask you right now. Sure. And, and if we do uh, digress, just remember where you left off. I don't think so, but uh, I've got to ask you these wild brother up in my format of my very small brain. Okay. It was it was my thought looking at the Treaty of Paris and, and just what happened with uh England's military involvement with the colonists. Would I be right in it, but I did in assuming that 
they probably said, you know, the team, whatever, the Rothschilds said, listen, okay, guys, right, come on back with the soldiers when you can, and let's not shed blood anymore. I'll tell you what, you guys are business enterprise of the crown, and we'll get you back financially enough with shedding blood. So go ahead and think what you want. We'll catch it, you know, financially. Is that correct? Yeah, that's why they stay here, and they never, um, yeah, and you can equate this, a lot of people can probably equate this that were alive, were, were young at the time, or were, were just like I was. When the Kabbalists went over and signed the Declaration of War, I mean, not the Declaration, the, the Peace, after the atomic bombs were dropped, um, the Kabbalists dictated all the parameters of that uh, treaty of peace between Japan and the United States. It was quite the opposite with the king. The king dictated everything in that Treaty of Peace of 1783. Right. And uh, therefore, he still was the arch-treasurer of the United States, and it says that right in there. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, that's basically okay. you know, what you were saying. All right, let me ask you this now. Let's say hypothetically, um, some, some, uh, some territory, let's just say within the contiguous 48 states, didn't become a state. Uh, right. Maybe it was part of the uh, acquisition from a uh, state. Uh-huh. Did they have? Did those residents have been free of uh, the same situation that the state's residents were free of, or would they have gotten booked into? Or was that pretty much an obscure question? <laughs> uh, you mean like Spain or Louisiana? Well, I'm just saying that there, the territory existed just for getting District of Columbia right now. Okay. Was it statehood that went? I just is asking in a better way. The state vote the citizens of that state into this whole uh, relationship, business relationship with the crown. Yeah, and the way it is, if, if you logically think about it, okay, the king owned all the property, all the land. People were free. All right? Uh, the crown was owed money by the king. So the crown had a lien on all the property, anything the king owned, okay? And therefore, um, Virginia and Maryland uh, were states. There was no territory like the United States. They banged around from New York to Philadelphia and a few other towns, and they didn't have any place to set. So Congress, that's actually the United States, if you look at it, Congress is nothing more than the United States. Um, and we always see in Congress assembled, the United States in Congress assembled. And that that means, basically, whenever Congress assembled, that's the United States. And there's something I don't find now. But uh, what it is, is um, all the land, the people were on the land, they were only tenants. They didn't own the land at all. There could be no alluvial land owned in the United States because it's still owned by the crown through the king because he couldn't transfer any land because of the heirs, and there would always be an office found under the reign of the king. Let me hold you there for a second. David Weber Johnson has been on to uh, speak to property rights, and he's mm-hmm. just chronicled that uh, in some cases, people, when they're in a dispute, whether it's with a town or whatever, uh, over their land, but they can go back to the original trees, uh, which, which hold precedent. Of course, 
Cain gave it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that was a Spanish American war, and my uncle, uh, uh, we buried him on the day that Kennedy was shot. That's how I remember. Um, it's also my wife's birthday. So uh, um, he fought in that Spanish American war also. As you know, strange uh, territory of Puerto Rico is regarded by the Crown. Uh, with, um, do you mean the island Puerto Rico is? Well, that was uh, that was uh, taken up by the United States in 1970. What the status of Puerto Rico? Yeah, that was um, 1898. Is when. Uh, uh, Spain gave it up. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, that was a Spanish-American war, and my uncle, uh, uh, we buried him on the day that Kennedy was shot, as I remember. Because um, that was on my wife's birthday. So uh, um, he fought in that Spanish-American war also. So I have some stories that uh, still are part of my memory from what he used to tell me. Um, but, but I mean, I do believe everybody's in tow uh, to the bankers. But um, ooh, what's that? Um, but I'm wondering is, well, you know what that is? Right side there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love whoever's there, but um, <laughs> do you hear that? Um, it was a, like a click or something. It was like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay, it was two of those. That's not somebody calling this usually. That's it's a little different. But anyway. that we're operating in today. And there is no republic. 
if you go back, and this is where I show you, it's very critical to look up definitions. Now, I have some definitions here that I was going to start with. I can't read them all because it would take me all of the rest of the probably about 40 minutes to go through every definition. But um, you'd have to get the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, um, the Newberry House Dictionary, 1999 issue, um, and the Webster's Revised Dictionary of 1913, because it's interesting that you must go to the dictionary at that time when it was written, because that's where they generally get it. And the reason why I chose Webster's 1913 dictionary, unabridged, was that's when the uh, income tax was written. Right. Now, if you notice, when you read the first income tax, it says at home, you know, whether abroad or at home. So when you go in, you wonder, well, well at home, everybody thinks the country, right? No, that's not true. The dictionary definition of uh, at home in the 1913 Webster's Revised Dictionary is the seat of government. Nothing else. Doesn't mean the entire 48 states, 50 states, when it was drafted. It meant the seat of government, Washington, D.C. That's what the definition of at home meant in the 
He married Rachel Fawcett, who was a mulatto, and they had Alexander. Now, Alexander was primed by the time he was 15. They sent him back to the Cornell to, uh, because uh, his father was part of the Jewish uh, uh, bankers at the time. All right. Which is further than the Hamilton might have known in the Rothschilds. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. And um, so when he came back over here, he was appointed to uh, the Secretary of Treasury. You know, uh-huh. he, he was a man. So he convinced um, Washington that they needed a bank. Well, the Constitution did not provide for the bank. So they went ahead at Jefferson, a man named Stetson, and I can't remember the other escapes me right now. We have the letters from them stating that there was no way the Constitution gave them the authority to create any bank. But they went ahead and did it anyway. So in 1791, Washington created the districts, the district states. That means he overwrote on every land, a district state. In other words, a state upon a state. And the reason they did that is because the banks who were first set up were private banks owned by the Crown. What they did was uh, the bank had been sued by the state of Maryland, one of the taxes. And John Marshall who was the Chief Justice in the Supreme Court, owned 7,200 shares of the foreign bank. He was listed as a foreign stockholder. He was an American. He was the United States. And he was still listed as a foreign stockholder because of the bank being foreign to this country. It was called the first bank in the United States, but that doesn't mean it belonged to the United States. It was just the first bank in the United States. And it was private and foreign. So... He ruled for the bank because had he not ruled for the bank and let the state of Maryland control it and and tax the bank, he would have lost all the shares and it would have proven that the bank was not in total control of everything in this country. And that's why Washington in 71 created the districts so that the district courts could sit any time a bank ran into trouble, that is where the district courts of the United States emanated from. To protect the banks. Yes, to protect the banks, that's all. You know, it seems to me strange. So in 1791, Washington created the districts, the district states. That means he overwrote on every land a district state. In other words, a state upon a state. And the reason they did that is because the banks who were first set up were private banks owned by the Crown. What they did was uh, the bank had been sued by the state of Maryland over the tax. And John Marshall, who was the chief justice to the Supreme Court, owned 7,200 shares of the foreign bank. 
He was arrested as an armed stockholder. He was an American. He was the United States. And he was still listed as a foreign stockholder because of the bank being foreign to this country. It was called the first bank in the United States, but that doesn't mean it belonged to the United States. It was just the first bank in the United States. And it was private and foreign. So he ruled for the bank because had he not ruled for the bank and let the state of Maryland control it, and, and tax the bank, he would have lost all the shares, and it would have proven that the bank was not in total control of everything in this country. And that's why Washington in 71 created the districts so that the district clerks could say, any time a bank ran into trouble, that is where the district courts of the United States emanated from. Yes, to protect the banks, that's all. You know, it seems to me strange that if, if Washington was to be what you would say to have been in Jefferson and such, and, and there's a lot of argument on, on both sides. Right. And, but the thing that I thought the colonists had, one of the reasons why they came here, was the fact that the thing they didn't like was to be um, basically defrauded by, by the Bank of England. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, um, if you go on to the former site, uh, it would behoove everybody to read the history of the American Bar. There's only excerpts in there from the whole book that uh, you know that I have. But you will see that the people despised the common law. It was too harsh. They hated the common law. But everybody here in this country seems the common law is one of the best things uh, since white race. You know? And it's not. It's ugly. And they can get a good grasp of just reading it, and there are certain highlighted portions in there in the ATG press site on the bar. On the bar. And uh, uh, the book is, is, is excellent. It's an excellent book. Uh, it's just too bad that uh, you probably you can't get it anymore. <laughs> well, I want to tell people again, I've been remiss in doing this. Uh, this is the grass at all with us. This is the informer. We post work on the website abgpress.com. And um, that particular, you just mentioned to me, I'm on the site now. Uh, what is it that you uh, would have people read? Uh, the History of the American Bar. It's probably called the American Bar. Okay. And also, uh, there is a chance that uh, if people do want to purchase some of your works, uh, how would they best do that? Uh, on the bottom of the uh ATG site is the address of where to send uh, the money and uh, where the um, money order and the kids' instructions are there. And that's the only way that uh, they would have to. Um, uh, right. On that website, we uh, have one place um, kind of printed out available. Are the rest of those titles still available? Uh, yeah. The other eight or so? Okay. All right. Now, when I got this book from, I got it from the Clemson University uh, Library, okay. the History of the American Bar. So uh, there's a complete copy from it. And uh, like I say, it is. it was printed and copyrighted in 1911 and uh, 1939. And the edition that I have is 1966. That's the last time it was written by Howard Furchag. 
And uh, I think it's got a Library of Congress card number, and the number is 66-24357. And um, I don't have this so much porcupine that I think about every page is porcupine with uh, quick post-it notes. I mean, it, it is that important to read it, and you get a good flair of um, how the bar and where all of the lawyers came from the middle and inner temples, and the templar was the crown. It wasn't the king. It wasn't the king and the queen of them. It was the crown. And the crown had all the templars, and from the middle and inner, and it will describe the ends of court, which we have in this country today, and uh, whether every lawyer knows it or not, they're under the control of the crown. Another question, if I could. Uh, okay, uh, with uh, the District of Columbia right. and the 14th Amendment, which I think, at least to my understanding, is that didn't, didn't at that time, at that point forward, the American people pick up the task for whatever the District of Columbia ran up? Yeah, because you know, if you look at the last paragraph, it says that you will not be able to question the public debt. Okay. All right, so if you can't question the public debt, aren't you a slave? Well, that's certainly a problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, uh, it's, it's more than the first part, but the, the second and the third and the 14th Amendment are the critical parts because this is why the courts cannot rule for you because they would be in violation of the 14th Amendment. I think it's the third article of the 14th Amendment, the third paragraph, where they um, would have, um, have to follow the dictates of the 14th Amendment. And if you go and question the public debt, which would be a pro-tax protester, uh, they are not to side with the tax protester because they would be in violation of the third paragraph of the 14th Amendment. All right, a couple of things real quick. Uh, before this work of the amendment, then, the right. bishop was not supported financially by... It was only supported by uh, trade and tariff, uh, and that's how the country's run, because now uh, the income tax, um, she goes to pay the, the crown, and, and, which is the Federal Reserve, just another name for the crown, and uh, not one penny goes to operate the country. It's all stood by uh, trade and tariffs. After I leave, I'm going to check out this website. I'm just going to ask you, this brings a bell at all for you, because I, I cannot come up with this individual's name, because it, it was the name that I used for you also. I mean, it, it wasn't his name. Okay. You have something on ATFN.org, but there was somebody uh, who was a, a female friend or whatever put up his writings on the site, and it had to do... Uh, he was told there's something or other, and I, I can't remember now. And they still did it. I'll have to take a look. And, and one of the things he said was that if you check out a certain uh, IRS form, something about how you, you can, it actually goes back to, to the crown. Uh-huh. Uh, did you ever run into a form that stated such? I mean, and like I said, this is a little murky, so uh, I'll be more so no, the, only thing, the only thing that traces back to the crown is in the IMF and the 6209 with the 300 code which is the treaty with the United Kingdom for taxes. 
especially in the uh, um, uh, in the 300 code. In fact, in the New History of America, I uh, listed part of that in there. Uh, the actual part from the uh, individual master it's uh, okay. It's they, they've actually changed the IMF code at 300 to 309 of a part assessment, and a CP55, which is generated a ballot for a master file transaction code 30. All right, uh, the DMF that's under business master file now naturally it would be business because it's all corporations. Uh, the 390, 399 now reads U.S. UK tax treaty claims. So uh, we've been in financial servitude since the Treaty of 
It's all international under the crown, Eckler. And the lawyers are over here to see that they make sure it's turned over. Now, here's a definition of a turn, and it comes from the Merriam-Webster's 1996 dictionary. Anglo-French, a turner, the transfer, allegiance of a tenant to another lord. From old French, a turner, to tour, to turn, to arrange. From a to turner, to turn, some may call it. To agree to be a tenant of a new landlord or owner of the same property. So an attorney is making sure in Judah law to turn over and transfer the hobbies and service from one lord to another, which they're doing. And this is the act of fiduciaries, vassals, or tenants upon the alienation of a state. Right there. I mean, just those two definitions alone is why they're called attorneys and not lawyers. Not one of them is a lawyer anymore. And uh, they're there to make sure that everything's turned over back to the crown. Look, what is rightfully the crowns, and that's why, you know, uh, it, 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 it becomes more clear as you delve into this, and if, you know, I know your listeners don't want to spend the, the 10 years that I have on just this matter, let alone the 30 years before that that I was on, on the rest of the matters of research. So it all forms into one nice big picture once you put all the puzzles together. All little pieces of the puzzle. You know, you start out with one and it's all blue, but then you have a big picture of this nice big seashore um, background, and you've got a blue piece of puzzle, and you're wondering what this blue has got to do with the total picture. But now, when you see the total picture, you got that blue piece in your hand, and you finish it by putting it in the center. You know what the picture looks like. Now, do all lawyers or attorneys, as they're called nowadays, do all of them know this? No. They're only taught what the law teacher tells them, the professor. All the professors would know this, all the Supreme Court justices, and certain ones of the appellate court judges would know if they have to know this. All right, then those, are the, are those attorneys, whatever, that make the jump eventually be judged. Does somebody pull them off to the side and initiate them? Yeah, they have a special meeting uh, twice a year uh, for all new judges coming in, and they're clued in to some other stuff. It's sort of like, you know, the Masonic people where they have 33 belts or 33 levels. And um, they, uh, those judges that are, those attorneys that, that can't make it on the outside as an attorney become judges. And uh, they have to be clued in. And they come in, I would say, probably the 15th level. They still don't know the whole story. Okay. So some of the judges, they're just like the Americans. They've been duped. They've only been taught what they're told. The law professors, like I mentioned that this law professor Robinson, like he said to the friend of mine who went got the book for me, uh, when he had the conversation, he says, we only teach them what we're told to teach them. The professor said this. The professor is told what to teach them and what not to teach them. That's why the majority of lawyers come out and have no idea in concept of what a lot of researchers and the average man uh, that has done some research as to what constitutional law and everything else is. If I could just ask you a question regarding a little review here. 
All right, if I go into court on a murder charge, right? I want more of my tribe. When they bring that in, that's usually in a state case. Uh, they come in to, uh, all right, they pattern it after a common law, but you're actually in a maritime court. Okay, because I thought you said capital offenses were tried by, and this is why I'm asking you, capital offenses were tried by what law? Uh, by common law. Okay. So it was rape, robbery, murder, uh, assault, battery, that's common law. But it is a, you know, this is the tricky part. You got a man in there, and you got a court. The court becomes the prosecutor, the defendant, and the judge. That's the court. Okay. Okay. Now, that court, under constitutional law, sits as an admiralty court, under admiralty jurisdiction, but can also hear other offenses, common law crimes. So now, when the prosecutor turns it and brings in an indictment or, or a, a complaint, the judge looks at the complaint. He knows basically what the subject matter is. He knows it's common law, and he says as a common law judge. Now, something as menial, let's just say in comparison, uh, I want to fight a parking ticket. Right. Now, where do I find myself in? A parking ticket is a uh, all right. It's a maritime crime. It is not a common law crime. It's a statutory law, and all statutory law comes under maritime jurisdiction. Okay, it's that simple. And we've been hearing a lot about um, people who are, are trying to use the Constitution in their own self-defense for whatever case it may right. be. And so they can't use the, they can't use the Constitution as written simply because. Uh, it was destroyed in 1791, and all states are territories of the United States now. Uh, there's no really separation of states. It's only in uh, in name only, and in certain instances to keep the people ignorant that all of the states are separate from the United States. No, not when we look at all of the motor vehicle laws like this, 1966, and you'll go into the uh, Highway Safety Tra- Traffic Safety Act of 1966, and that's where all the states were joined into the one territory, and they get money. And the reason why you got to find this, you got to go back to the Book of States, 1937, 1938. There's two volumes in the Book of States, and it will show you how all the states got together with the United States and were brought under the umbrella of the United States, no matter what the laws might be, whether it be driver's license, whether it be voting license, whether it be, uh, you name it, it's all territorial, and it all comes up through the auspices of the United States. Well, here's a loaded question for you. Since I know you've got probably, well, you said you had 16 pages once upon a time, you only got for about four. I'm going to tell you that you have a bunch of pages left, and you will come back for a third second, won't you? Oh, yeah, I'll come back. Um, uh, there, uh, well, if people record your show, they will. The, the words that they have to listen, to look up, is a torn Esquire rule as a noun, regulation as a noun, code as a noun, uh, curtain, court, uh, we're looking at the court under the Webster's 1828 and the Newbury House Dictionary 1999. Templar, 
All eighteen twenty-eight dictionaries now Webster's Templar Temple Capital. If you think capital is you know what the capital word capital means, you've got a big thing coming. I N N Inner Crown Colony State Estate Pack in the adjective patent in the term. Lawful, legal, status quo, status in quo, and that's what the definition is that people should look up in those dictionaries. I'm going to take a look at the library to find We've been talking with you Cameron. Hi, man. Thank you very much. People can find out about you on Instagram.com, and we'll be looking forward to hearing you uh, for a third time. Okay. All right, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Back with us for the third is uh, the IMAO. You call me uh, You can go to the website, agtcrest.com, and on that page, click on Informer, and you'll hear uh, uh, we'll read a lot about what we're speaking to today. And uh, thanks very much for coming back on yesterday. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I enjoy it. <laughs> At least I can get some of the thing out over the airways rather than through uh, emails. Well, yeah, so we do both, by all means. I mean, they both resonate one with the other, but I think you do get a wider audience uh, when you do have it on a, on a radio or a TV or whatever. Right. And since, um, uh, as I said, Phoenix seems to be down really in Nickel Candy, we're still trying to keep things going. We love the radio, pirate radio, and also the internet, which is a great boom for us now. They don't access into oblivion. That's true. Right, what are we talking about today? Okay, this is still in the crown. And I had wrote, wrote this up so I could um, disperse it on the show. And uh, the crown is actually what controls the country. And in the crown, they have... Now, the crown is not the king, to be uh, quite frank on that, so that the people don't think when I say the crown, they're talking about the king or the queen of England. What is the crown? The Crown is the uh, group of men that uh, set together and became the exchequer of the king. In other words, the bankers, uh, the money lenders, and so on and so forth. And uh, they have total control. And part of the money lenders and the, and the Crown today is the Federal Reserve in this country. And uh, just about any of the banks of, of any country that started is under the control of the crown because the crown is the banks or are the banks. So uh, with that, what I have to do is start out that uh, the bank, the crown, they got to have lawyers and uh, or legal people, so on and so forth, and that's what they have now. Uh, they're called the temple. So the crown has a temple, just like um, the uh, judiciary system in this country. There's lawyers, and uh, there's different types of lawyers. So in this one, all the legalistic scams are promoted by the exclusive monopoly of the temple bar. And the bar association franchises come from the four ends or temples of the court from the crown. They're the inner temple, the middle temple, Lincoln's Inn, and Gray's Inn. These inns or temples are exclusive and private country clubs. They're secret societies actually in the world of commerce. They're established 
founded early in the 1200s. And the, the Queen of England are current members of both the Inner and the Middle Temple. Gray's Inn specializes in taxation, legalities by rule and code for the crown. And the Lincoln's Inn received its name from the third Earl of Lincoln around 1300. If you read Charles Warren's book, The History of the American Bar, you will see that he goes back to the year 1355 when Bar Association became known throughout the world. That's when they finally sunk their teeth and became an entity. Now, just like all the U.S.-based franchise Bar Associations, none of the four ends of the temple are incorporated, and for a definite reason. You can't make a claim against a non-entity and a non-being. They're private societies without characters for charters, no statutes. And all their constitutions are based solely on custom and self-regulations. In other words, they exist as secret societies without a public front door unless you're called a private call to them. Now, what I did, and all your people can get this, you can find out about the the middle and inner temples and so on by writing to, I'll find it right here, uh, writing to the American Inns of Court Foundation, 127 South Payton Street, Suite 201, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. And in the Caption page, it says the American Inns of Court Foundation is a central information source for all American Inns of Court. The Foundation office urges you to take advantage of the member services and benefits available to your American Inn and its members. Furthermore, if you should have any questions or require more information on any aspect of American Inns of Court, please contact the Foundation office, which I just gave you the address. Uh, I got this from uh, Everett Gaskins and Hancock and Stevens from Raleigh, North Carolina, and they uh, faxed me a copy um, for when I requested everything in there about the uh, ends of court in North Carolina. So they gave me that, and then um, I went to the Secretary of State's office and, uh, in 1998, and they gave me um, the... American Inns of Court Foundation in Durham, North Carolina, and it says contributions are deductible, and it has a classification as an educational organization, no assets, no income amount, and the filing requirements is a Form 990 gross receipts do not exceed $25,000. A group affiliation that's subordinate with a group ruling. That's all it is on the Secretary of State's office concerning the ends of court. There's one in Greensboro, North Carolina. There's one in Cary, North Carolina. And then, of course, they have the, the Bar Association <coughs> itself as an educational organization. And its principal activity is interesting. Other instruction and training, study and research, legal aid to indigents. And an asset amount is... $10 million, the income amount is $3 million, and again, it's an independent organization or an independent auxiliary, and of course, they don't tell you this, but they come from the British Crown. So, 
based on that, uh, while the Intertempo holds the legal system franchise to steal from Canada and Great Britain, the Middle Temple has its legal license to steal from America. This comes directly through the Bar Association franchises of the Middle Temple through the Crown Temple. Would you say it again? Who is the license in this country? The Middle Temple. Crown. Uh, Now, uh, the history of the Inn, later centuries, written by the Society of the Middle Temple, you can see the direct tie to the Bar Association franchises and its Crown signatories in America. And here's a quote. Far to the bar of keeping terms in one of the four inns is a prerequisite to call at King's Inn until late 19th century. In the 17th and 18th century, students came from the American colonies and many from the West Indian islands. The Indian records would be one to suppose that for a time there was hardly a young gentleman in Charleston, that would be, uh, I'm assuming, South Carolina, who had not studied here. Five of the signatories of the Declaration of Independence were Middle Templars, and notwithstanding it and its consequences, America continued to come here until the War of 1812. So that means that all licensed bar attorneys must keep terms of their oath to the Crown Temple in order to be accepted or called to the bar at any of the King's Inns. And they have an oath and a pledge in terms of allegiance to the Crown Temple. It's not to the United States. It's not to you. Not to me. Because we're the, the bottom of the pecking order when it comes to uh, the uh, attorneys. Their first uh, allegiance and duty is to the court. The second is to the public, which means the government. And the third is to you. So every one of us that hires a lawyer takes back seat to whatever it's done. And he has to go with what the judge says, sitting up on the bench.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.